and thanks for joining me for this episode of Legal and Business Week in Review. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station, and I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Well, yesterday, Super Bowl 50, um, quite a game, quite a game. It was a close game, uh, a lot closer than some of the games that I remember. It was actually a, a good, entertaining game. Um, what I think is most memorable, aside from the fact that like or hate Peyton Manning, although I think it's hard to hate him. I'm not a, a Broncos fan or anything, but uh, certainly you've got to respect him as an athlete. I know there's all these allegations of human growth hormone, but I think that's a lot of nonsense. But you take the flip side of Peyton Manning and you're looking at Cam Newton. And for those of you who don't know, you should take a look and see how he reacted yesterday at the press conference following the game, talk about unsportsmanlike conduct. I mean, just absolutely talk. It's just, it's insane. You got to see it. He's he's like a child. He's like a child overreacting. The man gets paid millions of dollars. I understand you're sad you lost, but to react in the way he did with the reporters, absolutely unacceptable, unacceptable, completely. So, Check that out if you haven't seen it, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And let me know what you think about that sort of behavior when, I mean, it's not right at any time. But when you're making a ton of money, ah, it's even worse, even worse. All right, well, let's uh, let's just jump into some things. Let's talk first about what we're going to do today. We've got a number of stories I want to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about smokeless tobacco bans in Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the Hills star. Remember her, Lauren Conrad? and a uh, copyright infringement case. We're going to talk about the New York crane collapse that happened last week. A nine-year-old who was allowed to drive her drunk parents home. Ridiculous, right? Flint governor and the uh, the situation down in Flint, Michigan. We're continuing to report on those stories arising out of that water conundrum and an absolute abhorrent situation that they've got going on in Michigan, as well as a story about public urination being legal in San Francisco. We're going to get to all of that in just a few moments. I want to thank today's sponsor first. Today's show is sponsored by mdsupplies.com. They are the leading supplier of medical supplies on the internet. They're a manufacturer direct marketplace with over 30,000 products and growing. And what that means is that they're passing the savings directly onto you because you're buying direct from the manufacturers. And that's where I think you can see massive savings over some of their, their competitors, where they're not doing that. You're not getting direct from the manufacturer. You know, As a matter of fact, what they do at mdsupplies.com is they essentially pit you know, one company against the other. And, and they drive the lowest prices possible in order to compete with one another, and they pass that savings on to you. So whether you are a doctor's office, a hospital, a school, or an office, if you need any sort of medical supplies, you should check out mdsupplies.com. There's free shipping on just about all items, and it's the lowest prices, the widest variety, most brands. It's unbelievable if you need any sort of supplies, head over to mdsupplies.com. Also, I want to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please make sure you do so. I don't want you to miss any of the episodes that we we put out. You can subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk Radio, on Stitcher. 
Uh, iTunes seems to be the favorite, so make sure you head over to iTunes and you subscribe to the show. Um, it's really important that I think you stay up to date with what we're doing because we're trying to produce shows every single day um, and, and give you quality content, so I don't want you to miss anything. That being said, make sure you also subscribe to the YouTube channel because there's different content on the YouTube channel than there is on the podcast. And finally, make sure you stop by utlradio.com, which is our main website that has links to everything, ways for you to contact and communicate us, ways for you to submit your question for our legal and business Q&A shows. It's all there at utlradio.com, so please don't forget to check that out. And while you are visiting any of our sites, whether it's the podcast or YouTube or Facebook or the website, please make sure that you're sharing our content. That's our biggest challenge that we have, and that's what we really want to tackle head on. Uh, See the Super Bowl pun there? Tackle? Nice, right? And I didn't even work at that. It just happened. We want to tackle this idea of letting people know that we're here, letting people know that there is a resource available to them when they've got legal and business questions. And maybe it's a situation where they can't afford an attorney or it's just not appropriate to have an attorney because the amount of money at issue is too low and doesn't justify hiring an attorney. Whatever the case may be, we want people to know that there is help out there. There's guidance. There's instructionals. It's all here at utlradio.com, so please make sure you share that with everybody that you know. All right, so I'd love to hear, getting back to the Super Bowl, what you guys think out there about Cam Newton and his childish, in my opinion, reactions during the post-game interview. And let me know what you think about the way he handled himself. I mean, I know that Cam Newton's got fans and haters. Um, He seems to like himself, so I don't think he's worried about the haters But at the same time, I'd love to hear what you think about the way he handled himself. And uh, maybe I'm overreacting, so that's why I want to hear from you guys. Now, speaking about the NFL, we're going to jump into our first story. And we're talking today about NFL concussion issues and, and the reported rise in them. Now, you know, look, we've got Ronnie Lott. Remember Ronnie Lott? Uh, Commenting that he has possibly CTE. Uh, which is the the concussion disorder, essentially from smashing your head into other people over and over again, uh, that the NFL is experiencing. You know, I, I I've got I've got some questions for you out there more than anything because um, I, I think that yes, it's ultimately a legal issue when these players start suing the league. But what do you think, just from a spectator standpoint? Um, you know, what are your feelings about this? Should the league or the equipment manufacturers or the coaches or anyone else for that matter be liable, be responsible for these concussions that the players are allegedly sustaining as a result of their participation in the sport? Is this, does this become a valid lawsuit? You know, can you go to a helmet manufacturer and say, your helmet didn't protect me from concussion or can you go to the league and say we're suing you even though we made millions of dollars as players we're suing you because we sustained concussions i'd like to hear what you think i'm going to tell you what i think in just a second i think that the same way there is an inherent risk when a spectator goes into an arena to watch a sporting event and you know on the back of your ticket it says 
hey, look, you know, you might be hit by a ball. We're not responsible. Or if you go to a hockey game, they tell you that sticks, pucks, and other objects may fly out of the rink and hit you. I mean, it's a a tend-at-your-own-risk situation. It's only in rare circumstances where there's uh, an excessive amount of negligence, like, you know, um, not having glass or not having a net at a hockey game or knowing that there was a broken net or a broken piece of glass and allowing that to continue. That's different, but in general, it's attend-at-your-own-risk. Now, is there any one of us that doesn't believe that there's inherent risk in sport? I would say no. Now, would you believe that there is a greater risk of injury in a sport like football or tennis? Which one? I would venture to say that most of you will think football, obviously, is the uh, sport that has the most opportunity for injury. Why? Because of the physical contact. Now, if any of you out there have played football, you know that coaches at the peewee and beyond level start teaching the kids about hitting and where to hit and using your head. And you see that a lot of the great players, a lot of the great linebackers, they did. They used your their head as part of their arsenal of uh, weaponry on the field. And so doesn't it only stand to reason that if you hit your head over and over and over again into an object, that you are going to sustain some sort of traumatic injury? And is it really the fault of anyone? I mean, isn't there that inherent risk, the same risk we talked about with attending a game? Now, you know, you're going to put the helmet on and play. I mean, I, I I have a hard time believing that there's a lot of validity in these lawsuits because how do you play football without making some contact? There are already rules in place about direct contact to a quarterback with your helmet. So now what? You're going to say you can't bump your head into anybody, but you know that there's no way to avoid it. So I just would love to hear your opinion about Uh, where this is going, and whether or not you think that these lawsuits that are stemming out of the concussion issues are going to be valid in any way. I'd like to hear your opinion on that. Sticking with the the sports theme, I want to talk about an article written by C.J. Natowski, who I actually went to, uh, to high school with. And he he's a pro baseball player, retired pro baseball player. He played with a number of teams. And now he is doing work for Fox Sports. And he has an article out there about smokeless tobacco and this ban that's being put in place in the city of Los Angeles. Now, most of you who are baseball fans know that uh, chewing tobacco is something that we see baseball players using often. Maybe not so much now, but definitely we've seen it in the 70s, 80s, 90s, but it's still being used today. Now, smokeless tobacco obviously does not carry the potential risk of secondhand smoke because obviously it's smokeless. Um, There's all these different issues with smokeless tobacco. The people that chew tobacco, they're buying the can and it says right on it could cause cancer or other health risks. It's not, I think, the same as a cigarette because of the smoke issue and So there's this question of whether or not this ban put in place by the city of Los Angeles is actually going to do anything to curtail 
the use of smokeless tobacco. And CJ's point is that it's not going to do anything. And I agree with him on this issue because what are we saying? You know, we're saying that baseball players are role models. They're role models to kids. And if kids see their role models using chewing tobacco, they're going to want to emulate that. Is that reasonable? Well, I guess it's a possibility. I mean, if you remember back in the 80s when Big League Chew came out, it was put in a pouch sort of to simulate chewing tobacco, and the bubble gum was shredded into long strips like tobacco. So I think that, um, you know, we've embraced it before, right? And we've given the kids gum to use, but it looks like the chewing tobacco. Now we're going to talk about saying, all right, there's a ban on smokeless tobacco, but whether it's wrong, right, healthy, or not healthy, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about whether or not the ban on smokeless tobacco will prevent kids from wanting to use the product. And I, you know, I read what CJ says, and like I said, I agree with it. Um, You know, is it actually going to turn people's minds around? Is a kid going to say, well, they don't allow it in the city of Los Angeles, and therefore I shouldn't do it? I don't know. Um, Look, you can argue on the other side that the anti-smoking, anti-tobacco ads have worked to an extent because last statistic I read uh, that smoking is down throughout the U.S. in young people, and some of those commercials are just flat-out scary. Um, so there's there's some motivation, I think, behind those commercials. And I think people that view them, especially young kids, I know my kids have seen them and they've said, oh, my God, that's so sad or sick or gross or whatever. I'm never going to do that. So that there's a benefit there. Whether or not this band's going to do anything to curtail the use of smokeless tobacco, chewing tobacco, I don't think it does much of anything. But um, it's an interesting approach. I just don't think that it's the solution. Now, I don't have the solution, but um, I agree with CJ here and and say I don't think it's a real solution. I think it is a temporary measure. Um, so, But we'll see, and I'd like to know what you guys think about that out there. Is it the right thing to do? Um, you can always argue on the other side of this and say, well, wait a minute, personal freedom of the players, and you know it's not hurting anybody like we talked about earlier. There's no secondhand smoke. It doesn't interfere with anybody's health. It doesn't injure anyone. If I want to do it, is it okay? I mean, I guess you could make all kinds of arguments arising out of that argument. Well, what about steroids and this and that? The thing with tobacco is it doesn't give you an unfair advantage like um, steroids are perceived to. So, you know, what's the, the harm? Is it a personal freedom issue? I don't know. But I'd like to hear what you think about that. All right. Now we go from football to baseball over to, of course, everyone's favorite sport, dog surfing. Yes, that's right. Uh, Lauren Conrad, remember her from the MTV show The Hills? She was the blonde girl that never seemed to get in any trouble and uh, was the kind of perfect, prim and proper girl. Well, she's in trouble now. There's a lawsuit that has been filed against her by a company called Incredible Features, Inc. And they're alleging that she copied three or four um, of her of their pictures of dogs surfing 
Yep, that's right. Dogs surfing. She's got them on her website, laurenconrad.com. I'm sure they're down by now. And the website is um, not just a personal site. It's a commercial use site, too, because there are links to her clothing line, her clothing collection that's sold at Kohl's. Now, the complaint sounds in copyright infringement and contributory copyright infringement. So I want to read you um, the opening paragraph, which, look, lawyers typically have no personality or sense of humor, but this lawyer actually has a humorous introduction. He says, In this dog-eat-dog world of online content, hosting original compelling photography is key to a website's success. And then it goes on with the allegations So this is a uh, federal court case, venued in California. And what it talks about, essentially, is that she knew that these photographs were not hers. She took them. She put them on her website without prior authorization and used them, essentially, for some sort of, of commercial gain. But even without the commercial gain, you still have the fact that it was an unauthorized use of somebody else's photography. So... The allegations go on to say that the plaintiff um, knew that the copies were unauthorized and that she distributed them. She distributed them through the posting on her website and also created infringing derivative work from the fo- the, the photographs. Uh, and so they're seeking damages for all of those infringing uses. Now, how much? How much do you think? You want me to tell you now? I almost don't want to tell you. I almost want to have a poll. So I think that's what we're going to do. Let's do that. That's exactly what we're going to do. Here's the question I have for you. Now, you can tweet in your answer at PJL Law. Just send me a tweet with your number. And I want to know what you think she is suing for. How much money, or not uh, she's suing, how much money is the company suing her for? So we are talking about, it looks like, two pictures. Now, I know that I, I saw more before, but let's assume that we're talking about two to four pictures of a dog surfing taken by somebody else, and she used them on her website as part of her blog. Okay? How much money is the plaintiff suing her for? Tweet me your guess, and I will... Address it tomorrow on our Q&A show, our legal q and uh, give you the answer. Uh, the, the person closest will receive a free utlradio.com T-shirt. The spur-of-the-moment spur deal that we have going on here, but I want to see how close you are to guessing what she's being sued for for the unlawful use of these two to four copyright protected photographs so check that out we're going to talk about um, copyright in an upcoming video we're going to talk about fair use and what that means and so i would suggest that you subscribe to the youtube channel so you don't miss that video about copyright issues because how many of you out there have a blog or a website and have gone to google and you've seen something that you liked and you've taken the picture shared it, put it on your website, maybe throw it up on your Instagram page. Have you ever considered whether or not what you're doing is fair use or whether or not it infringes upon the copyright protection? 
Now, here you've got, you know, we're talking two to four pictures of a dog surfing, and these people are suing her. They're right in their right, you know, um, in their rights, or they have all their rights to sue her for sure. It's not like they're just doing it to be mean. Are they potentially doing it because they assume she's got deep pockets and they can recover from her? Maybe. But if it's happening to her, it can happen to one of you as well. So I think you should be aware of that and tune in to that upcoming video about fair use and copyright issues. All right, now let's uh, let's swing over to something a little bit more serious and definitely somber. Last week, there was a crane collapse in New York City, and uh, three people were injured and one person was killed. So clearly, this is a tragedy when anyone gets injured or hurt, but here we've got a death arising out of this crane that fell from a building in the Tribeca section of New York and crashed into the street below. This happened on Friday morning. Now, you know, it's interesting here. Um, It says, according to Courthouse News, that the company who was putting their crane up into a secure position, the way that they would have wanted them to do, uh, or that they were putting it up, um, and that the use of this crawler crane that fell was used by the Bay Crane Company with a boom of 565 feet, the maximum allowed by law in New York, and a capacity of 330 tons. It's called a crawler because it has treads, which allows it to be driven like a truck. Uh, So what they're saying here is that there's not necessarily a reason why it fell, at least not according to this report, Um, but they were moving the crane into a different position, and clearly there were pedestrians around when they shouldn't have been around, Um, because anything can happen, essentially. But what I'd like to talk about for a second is what's the liability here? Now, look, this does not help the family of the victim who died at all. And, you know, it's often a double-edged sword when you see these things because the person lost their life. The family has lost this individual. They're not coming back. And, you know, now what, you are going to contemplate a civil suit against the city of New York, or the crane company, does it ever make up for your loss? No, but, you know, sometimes it's necessary. So we're going to talk about that aspect of this terrible accident. First of all, who would you sue here in a situation like this? Could you sue the city of New York? Well, I think you probably could. Um, Now, remember, there's laws about suing a municipal or governmental entity There are requirements. There's notice requirements that you have to comply with in order to have a valid suit. But we're not going to talk about them. No, they're out there. But let's just talk about who you would sue if you were going to file suit. So first of all, I would say the city of New York, and I would argue at the very least that the city of New York should have put additional safeguards in place, such as blocking the street or sidewalk portions around the construction, around the crane, off so that pedestrians would not be in the vicinity of this crane. So clearly I think that that would be a valid claim. Whether or not they defeat that claim on immunities or other um, arguments, we don't know. But that would be one issue I would raise. The other issue clearly is with the crane company and perhaps the operator. Was the operator negligent? I mean, the fact is that the crane fell. So it was either a freak accident 
where the operator and the company were doing everything right. Everyone had been trained. Everybody was using the piece of equipment properly, and a freak accident occurred. There was nothing about the inspection of the crane. It just was a freak accident. Well, how often does that happen? I would say not too often. Generally speaking, I think you can always make out a case um, or almost always make out a case of negligence somewhere along the line. In other words, maybe the crane wasn't inspected properly. Maybe the staff or the operator wasn't trained properly. There's a lot that you can find. Remember a few years ago with the uh, Staten Island ferry that was coming in and crashed into the dock. I mean, there was negligence there. So we're not 100% sure, but I would definitely say that if you're looking to try to analyze where is their liability, you could make an argument out against the city of New York, probably some of the city entities too, like perhaps the Department of Building, and then, of course, the crane company, the crane operator, and if they had hired any subcontractors who might be responsible for maintaining the crane or for making sure that the area around the crane was clear, who knows? But that's where I think you know, you'd find your potential defendants. That's where you would look. So obviously, of course, um, to the family of the victim, we send our condolences and clearly wish that something like this never happened. Perhaps it will be a learning experience. I know that Mayor de Blasio has already initiated some form of protocol to show or to say that they're going to to make changes to the way that the cranes operate and and the level of pedestrian involvement uh, around the the cranes. Just as a, a secondary point, though, I want to say this. How many of you think that the fact that the city of New York might put additional steps or measures into play can be used in a civil lawsuit to prove that they were negligent. Okay, so in other words, let's say the city makes a policy change and they say that no pedestrian can be within 30 feet of a crane site when it's moving. Can you now go back and say, look, Here's what they did. They changed the law because they knew they were at fault. And can you argue that that change proves your negligence? What do you think? Well, the answer is that it does not. Subsequent remedial measures, that means things you do to fix a situation following an accident or injury, are not admissible to prove liability. What does that mean? That means that you can't say, Look, they fixed this law so they knew that it wasn't good and therefore they should be liable. Subsequent remedial measures, you want to encourage a company, an individual, an entity to fix or remedy a problem upon learning about it. So that's the logic behind not having subsequent remedial measures be evidence of liability. It could be evidence of other things. For example, it could show that a modification was feasible. So feasibility would be an area where you could show a subsequent modification, uh, remedial modification, but not to prove negligence. Does that make sense? All right. Moving along, this is a disturbing story. A Wisconsin mom and her boyfriend are facing felony charges for allowing their nine-year-old daughter to drive them home in a pickup truck after they appeared too drunk to drive. Jason Roth and Amanda Eggert 
pled not guilty Friday to a number of felony charges, including child neglect and second-degree reckless endangerment. The couple was arrested about a week ago after authorities say they took a 911 complaint about erratic driving in rural Wisconsin roads. By the time the law enforcement caught up to Eggert uh, and Roth's truck, and after they had pulled it over, uh, they pulled. They ended up pulling into a public boat launch in the Apple River, um, which is part of Polk County. They found that a nine-year-old was the driver and that there was an 11-month-old baby strapped into a car seat. As the nine-year-old exited the truck, it was still running and in drive when Mr. Roth was sitting in the truck by himself. This was uh, according to uh, testimony in court. Um, he turned the ignition off, and the truck began rolling backwards down the hill towards the river. Absolutely insane. Both adults appeared to be highly intoxicated, with uh, one of Roth's preliminary breath tests coming back at .25, more than three times the legal limit to drive. The nine-year-old allegedly drove the truck for miles, weaving in and out of oncoming traffic. Fortunately, there were no accidents and no one was hurt. The two young children are now staying with extended family as Eggert and Roth remain jailed. Both their cases are now headed to trial. This is terrible. Absolutely terrible. I don't even know what to say about this. But, you know, as a parent myself, to think ever about putting your child in a situation like that where you're making a nine-year-old drive your car because you're drunk, what is wrong with you? Really? Is alcohol that important to you that you are going to put your children at risk, not to mention other people on the road? What, what, what goes on in people's minds? When you have a child, it's a gift. You're given this child to take care of, to nurture, to help, not to endanger. And it infuriates me when I see things like this, when I see cases like this, where you've got somebody who is fortunate enough to have children, and this is how they treat them. These are the kinds of people that should you know, lose rights to their children under certain circumstances. I don't know if this is the first time, second time, third time. I don't know if these people are habitual drunks and this is what they do, but to endanger the life of a nine-year-old and an 11-month-old. There are families and women out there who try their entire lives to have children and can't. And here are people that are blessed to have them, and then they do something as stupid, careless, reckless, and selfish as getting drunk to the point where you can't even operate your car and you've got your nine-year-old driving. What is wrong with you? Unbelievable. So where is this trial going to go? Well, they should be found guilty, hands down. I don't know how else you're going to defend against this. This is absolutely abhorrent behavior. And think about the impact that it's going to have on a nine-year-old who remembers the day that her mother was taken to jail because they were too drunk to drive and she had to do it for them. Uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you guys think about that? For me, I mean, it's just so frustrating. I'm getting worked up just talking about it because I try so hard to protect my children, to give my kids everything that they need in life to succeed. 
how anyone could be this selfish blows my mind. And I just, it, they should be ashamed of themselves. I'm not somebody that goes around judging everybody and, and criticizing. But when I see something like this, oh, it's really, really hard, really hard to deal with. All right, now on to another topic, a little less emotionally upsetting. This one deals with trademark, and this is actually an interesting story. So the Fine Brothers, they are YouTube uh, movie producers and creators. Uh, at least that's what I think. Well, what they did is they have been trying to trademark uh, the term react. Okay, react, R E. A-C-T, react. And they've done so with certain phrases like adults react and, you know, somebody else reacts. Um, So, you know, like those reaction type videos. So they've tried to trademark those phrases, adults react. Well, they've tried, I think they also have, yeah, they have trademarks in celebrities react, adults react, and parents react. They recently tried to trademark yet another term Um, and this is what's interesting about it so they try to trademark the word react and they're going to do so by uh, arguing that within its context of what they do on their YouTube channel that it's reaction video so they are going to trademark the word react all right as it applies to their videos they go through the, the process of filing the application. Now, what's interesting is that when you file a trademark application, it could take a year before your trademark is approved. It's given to an attorney at the USPTO, the uh, the trademark office, patent and trademark office. First, they review your application to look for deficiencies to make sure that what you are asking to be copyright or trademark protected, I should say, actually can be. They look at all the application. They look at the submissions, the wording, whatever, and they say, all right, this is something that, yes, we can trademark. After they do that, there's a process that goes on. And ultimately, it has to be submitted for publication. And after 30 days of publication, if nobody has objected to the filing of this term, then they essentially get the trademark. Well, these guys were apparently either uh, so excited or just not thinking that they started publicizing the fact that they were seeking trademark protection on the word react. And in doing so, what do you think happened? Well, somebody objected and said, you can't trademark the word react. Um, They received a ton of negative feedback, ton of negative responses to their video trying to explain themselves but you know what? Here's the dumb part about it. And, and I don't mean disrespect to them, but in, uh, in the grand scheme of things, if they didn't say anything, if they had let the publication just run, they probably would have received the trademark. Right? Mind-blowing. But they probably would have received it. But when you start flaunting to the extent that that's what they were doing, when you start being careless with your intellectual property, when you start sharing too much before you have the protections in place, that's what happens. So unfortunately for them, they miss out and they cannot trademark the word react. 
All right, just as a quick follow-up, talking about Flint, Michigan, um, you know, we've been talking the last few weeks about the situation in Flint with the water and the lawsuits that are arising. Now, according to Courthouse News, after months of finger-pointing in Michigan over Flint's lead-poisoned water, lawmakers took up the albatross Wednesday at the first congressional hearing on the crisis, calling it horrendous, outrageous, a train wreck, and a crime of epic proportions, lawmakers expressed frustration with local, state, and federal responses as they tried to sort through the mishaps that led to the crisis. Now, if you recall, I talked last week about the fact that finding the culpable or liable party in this situation is going to be extremely difficult because it goes from federal to state to local levels, and everyone's going to blame everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean they can't do it, but that's something that they have to uh, obviously contend with now quote the public has a right to be outraged outraged outrage doesn't even begin to cover it said house oversight and government reform committee chairman representative joseph uh chef chef a republican from utah and um you know really what is important here to know is who do you think was not in attendance uh, it's unbelievable but who who Michigan Governor Governor Rick Schneider. Now, you know, Rick Schneider is culpable at some level for what's gone on here, but he wasn't there. According to this, he was refusing uh, to require Schneider's attendance. This is uh, Chavetz was uh, refusing to require Schneider's attendance because he wanted to lay the blame on the foot of the Environmental Protection Agency for not taking action as soon as it became aware of the crisis. Quote, Governor Schneider has admitted to mishaps in his own administration. Republicans Ellison and um, uh, Raul Grovala, sorry for the uh, pronunciation there, said in a February 2nd letter, quote, the lack of oversight and accountability at the state level requires full investigation and a partisan hearing that aims to undercut the Environmental Protection Agency will not accurately reveal wrongdoings that occurred in Flint. So they are trying to exclude him in order to avoid the finger pointing that we know is going to go on. So this is just... Um, it supplements, it supports it, 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 it supports my position that I've been talking about over the last few weeks, that it's going to be extremely difficult to point the finger and find the culpable guilty party because we know that everybody is going to point the finger. And I'd like to see ultimately what happens because somebody is going to be responsible for this. Somebody is going to bear the ultimate responsibility because I think that from a societal standpoint, for the people in Flint, Michigan... It's an outrage, and they're going to demand some form of justice. Imagine having lead poison water that they're paying for, right, that they can't drink, and then we can't find a guilty or culpable party, right? So you're going to find somebody guilty, but we don't know who. And as I have been saying, clearly there will be a lot of finger-pointing, so that has not changed. All right, let's uh, talk about our final story of the day. And this one is... Uh, something that we all should know about if we're going to go to San Francisco, and that is public urination is legal. So no more running around looking for a restroom. Just pull down your pants and relieve yourself right on the street of San Francisco. So this coming from um, 
find law. If peeing in public is cool, consider San Francisco to be Miles Davis. The city by the bay has had a long history of battling public urination. I didn't even know that was an issue. And has deployed numerous strategies from $500 fines to urine repellent paint. Urine repellent paint. I don't even know. To deter public peers with little or no success. But San Francisco may have finally stumbled upon a solution. The city and possible the nation's first open air urinal located in newly renovated Dolores Park. Just in time for the Super Bowl. This obviously came out last Friday. Dolores Park has effectively become one large outdoor public urinal due to its heavy traffic and dearth of restrooms. On a sunny Saturday, it can host between 7,000 and 10,000 people, said San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department spokesperson Sarah Madlin, all of whom were competing for just three toilets. But the park just got its first makeover in 60 years, including 24 additional toilets in one concrete circle, complete with drain and semicircular concrete splash guard, along with a screen and some plants to offer a modicum of privacy between the urinals and the passing rail trains. Really? Do we really need this in our country? We need a public open air urinal? I would I mean there's got to be like a a webcam here where you can watch all the people using this. It's insane. Insane. Would you going to San Francisco ever decide to urinate in their public urinal? I'd like to know what you guys have to say about that. Um in most states, let's just get this clear. Public urination is illegal. It's a crime. It could be a misdemeanor. But it's a crime. So, you know, it's interesting to see what they're doing here in San Francisco. I didn't even know they had a public urination problem. Could you imagine having that problem? So for those of you out in San Francisco, I would love to hear what you have to say about it. Maybe I am overreacting and missing the point. Maybe this is a good thing. I don't know. Um, Last time I was in San Francisco was a long time ago, way before they installed the public urinal. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear what you think. And, you know, residents of San Francisco, are you in favor of this? Do you not like it? Would you ever use it? You know, and what do you think about this idea spreading throughout the country? You think it's something that would ever happen or is this limited to a San Francisco thing? You know, what about these states that have public urination laws in them that make public urination illegal? What do you think about that? I'd like to hear your thoughts. All right, I'm going to wrap up. That's going to do it for today. A lot of uh, things going on, a lot of interesting stories. I'd like to hear your comments. Don't forget to tweet me at PJL Law and let me know your guess as to what you think Lauren Conrad is being suing, being sued for dollar-wise in her uh, stolen surfing dogs lawsuit. So make sure you send that to me at PJL Law. Just put the dollar amount, your guess, in the tweet, and I will reveal the answer tomorrow on the legal Q&A show, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. Also, I want to thank today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by MDSupplies.com. If you are in the market for medical supplies of any type, regardless of quantity, check out MDSupplies.com. Manufacturer, direct, free shipping, largest selection, lowest prices. Check them out, mdsupplies.com. 
Also, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to tell people about the podcast. Help me get the message of UTL Radio across. Help me get the DIY legal and business self-help out there to let people know that there is an avenue for them to turn to. There's somewhere to go where you can get help and assistance and guidance somewhere that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg when you're in a situation that you can't afford it or it doesn't make financial sense. So please help me spread the utlradio.com message around and let people know about the podcast, the YouTube channel, and our main webpage. Again, that's utlradio.com. Tomorrow, the person closest to the actual amount being sued for in the Conrad case will receive a free utlradio.com T-shirt. So make sure that you get your votes in via Twitter. <clears throat> Whoa, a little squeak there. Via Twitter. My voice is still hoarse. I went to the Devils game on Saturday against the Capitals, and it was so close. You know, the Capitals, obviously, if you follow hockey, they have the uh, the best record in the NHL, completely untouchable as far as points go. And, man, did the Devils put up a good fight. And they were so close. They lose, lose in a shootout. So my voice is still uh, trying to come back from the Saturday game, so forgive the prepubescent squeak, if you will. All right, that's going to do it. Please make sure that you help me get this message around. It's very important that we let everybody know that there is a resource for them, and I can't do that without your help. So please, you know, share, post, retweet, whatever you've got to do to let people know, and, you know, please share this information that we talked about today or on any of our other shows with your friends, your family and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your legal success and business, or your business success and legal information station. I'll see you next time. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.